Welcome back, everybody, to Millwood and Micah Discovering Avatar Season 2. My name is Amanda Millwood, and I'm a screenwriter, actor, director, and a fan of Legend of Korra. And my name's Todd Micah. I'm the author of the Grimguard book series, and I had no idea that this duo of episodes would be a legend of Lynn. <laughs> but here we are. <laughs> right. But here we are. <laughs> I told you. You would love them. Man, but I mean, like, you told me that these episodes were going to be like, oh, they're going to be very Lynn-centered. But this is like, it's literally, it's not even just like, <laughs> oh, she gets an episode where she runs around and does stuff. Like, welcome to the Bayfong family. Like, <laughs> Right, exactly. Keeping up with the Bayfongs. The Bayfong bunch. <laughs> yes. I, I love Lynn. <laughs> Every, literally. Everybody hates Sue. <laughs> oh my god. Every, we can every, keep this going. every family sitcom like ever. <laughs> Here it is. Yes. Uh, because we have arrived today. We have arrived today uh, in episode five of season three of legend of Korra, uh episode five the metal clan admittedly i feel like all of our sitcom titles are better than the metal clan doesn't you know <laughs> uh, uh, yeah <laughs> but uh, onward we go um the metal clan is written by michael dante DiMartino, which i was having a conversation with somebody just today just this morning about the podcast and they were talking really? about how much we read into the impact of the writers and directors and while mm -hmm. we've noted it a lot in in during avatar like episode to episode i feel like there was a really big tonal shift depending on who the writer and director was yeah and while it's true with legend of korra as well i kind of feel like the whole josh hamilton tim hedrick like handing off back and forth between seasons two and three here i feel like mm -hmm. there's a lot a lot uh, they blend together a lot more it's not quite as distinct like if you never told me who was direct who or who had written each episode other than the fact that it was a dead giveaway with bossing say because <laughs> right. we all we all know um i actually yeah. <laughs> you know episode to episode i really wouldn't be able to tell you i really wouldn't be able to tell you it's not like there's giant you know tells of of you know in the avatar well, that oh sorry go ahead Oh, well, I was just going to say, like, I I think you're right, but I think that the reason is not so much the, like, the writers themselves or the directors. I think it's just that the story and the tone is kind of the same all throughout, if mm -hmm. that makes sense. Like, yeah. because it's more of a um, serialized show than Avatar was, like, of course, there are some episodes that you could, you know, pluck out and they could be considered filler for Legend of Korra. But overall, it's a very streamlined plot driven show you know and whereas avatar was more of an adventure series where you had episodic episodes and mm -hmm. like obviously there was an overarching theme and story but really when you broke it down it was episodic and so you know you're allowed to have different you know i guess different feeling episodes different episodes that had different um tones and you know or, you could or, have... or that focused on different characters right exactly whereas with legend of korra it's more focused on well korra being the main character obviously and it very heavily focuses on her but then as we said in these two episodes it actually kind of deviates for once and right and 
yeah, so it definitely stands out as feeling different from the rest of the season so far. Right. And, um, you know, I was, <laughs> I laughed at myself when I saw, oh, Michael Dante DiMartino. Now, I've been throwing shade on the poor man all through Legend <laughs> I of Korra. I have. <laughs> But I, but as I say every time since I brought it up, and when did I bring it up? Was it at the end of season one that I was like commenting on the fact that it, the whole thing had been basically written by the creators, and it, and uh, I, I commented that DiMartino's writing is a little, always seems a little bit dry, a little bit impersonal, mm-hmm. and so for me here, I think it was what you know what it was i think it was during civil wars part one and two mm-hmm. which were like the second podcast episode of season two i think is when that when you made that comment and i thought about that when i found out that he wrote it and i was like i wonder if he feels the same about this because like this to me was not dry at all like i love this episode now it isn't dry it isn't dry but I feel like I'm going to draw a really big contrast between this and the next one when we get there. Right. Um, okay. Beca- because <laughs> while this episode has plenty of heart, it also is filled with a lot of exposition. And that is, mm-hmm. to me, one of the defining marks of Martino's writing is that they go to him because he's like the lore keeper of, of the Avatar yeah. world. When somebody goes to him and says, hey, can we do an episode on Toph's family? It's up mm-hmm. to him because he's like the god of the Avatar world. Like, how many children did Toph have? What are their names? What's the dynamic? Mm-hmm. Do they have children? And so, like, when they need like to go to the scripture of Avatar to get the truth about very key characters, what became of right. Aang and you know his family? What about Katara? And what happened to the? They, it's like they always tap Di Martino because anything having to do with the core avatar crew or the avatar world in general, it's going to be in his hands. It just is. Right. You know? He's like the encyclopedia of avatar. Right. And so while this episode has some really, really good writing as far as, as far as it goes, um, and there is a lot of heart to it. I think that a lot of the episode is spent on building it. And while it's built well, you know, it still has the marks of DiMartino's exposition. Everybody is named. Everybody is very clearly defined what they do in the family. And we'll get deeper into that. But I'm just saying, I could still recognize it was DiMartino at the at the writing helm. Right. <laughs> That's uh, fair. Yeah. Um, the episode is directed by Colin Heck, who, again, we know him very, very well by now. Uh, animated mm-hmm. by Studio Mir. Admittedly, admittedly not some of the better animators uh in this episode the i mean the episode is a lot of people walking around and talking to each other and like mm-hmm. and like definitely not the highest quality of 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 it you know what i mean the next episode the it's animation fair. is super gorgeous it's like you know it was like some of the stuff brought out for uh the season finale of season two just like really sharp mm-hmm. great animation in the next one uh for good reason yeah um the episode aired july 11th 2014 and the imdb rating of the metal clan is a pretty impressive 8.4 out of 10 why don't you take us away with those fun facts amanda all right so for our first fun fact a scene in which mingwa shaves zahir's head with an ice razor in the republic city hideout was cut from the final storyboard so if you're wondering where he got that sick cut from Mingwa apparently did it with an ice pick. But, uh, which I, 
I'm going to say this is up there with removing Kylo Ren's cowl from The Force Awakens as one of the biggest like design downgrades. <laughs> he looks so much cooler with the hair and the beard. Yes, like agreed. he still looks cool, but I really loved the like the haggard look that he had he had going in the first couple episodes. <laughs> at least at least I got to say in this episode there's a reason for the change to his look. If he was just like, "Oh, I all that gross hair that I grew when I was in prison, got to get rid of it. At least here, it's because he's trying to like pose as right. you know. He has he's, he's like he's like in disguise, and what better way to be in disguise than to shave off all of your like defining features? Right? Yeah. Like it. It definitely makes sense within the story. I just, I can still be mad about it. Oh yeah, for <laughs> sure. And I'm saying at least it wasn't arbitrary. That was like my only. Thing. And, yeah, that's yeah. true. By the way, can I just say that, like, somebody who could bend water into a razor, man, that's got to be the most best. Speaking of somebody who shaves his head twice a week, that's going to be the best shave ever. Man, like, right. so cool, so cold and refreshing. I mean, I pour ice cold water over my head after I'm done shaving. Mm-hmm. What does that do? Does that just help you to? Like, well, it it soothes the razor burn, but also like tightens up your pores, so you're like you're less mm. likely to get any sort of like you know irritation or bumpiness or anything. Like it just it keeps everything smooth as ice. Nice, we love yeah. that. Yeah. Um, in our second fun fact, among Suyin's collection of keepsakes are a dragon pipe identical to the one that Sokka used in Avatar Day, a bait a painted lady, a painted lady <laughs> statue. <laughs> Don't know why it's like that. A painted lady statuette and a mask used by sandbenders. Wow. I gonna be honest. I did not notice the pipe or the painted lady statue. I did notice the sandbender goggles mm-hmm. um, because there's a, a picture of the like whatever tribe that she lived with. But yeah, I need to go back now and look because I didn't see the other two. That's but, awesome. Uh, I, yeah, I'm sure I would have caught them if I was looking for them, you know what I mean? You know what that reminds me um, of? That reminds me of uh, Luthen in uh, in in the Andor series. How he oh, had yeah. the big relic room and the fans are always like, po- where they're always pointing out like armor <laughs> or different things that were all right. like a room full of Easter eggs. Oh my god, the one I remember losing my shit at, and of course you're going to be like, of course you did was um padme's golden head crest yep. that she wore in attack of the clip because <laughs> i was like it's right there it's so pretty but uh yeah <laughs> the leo pointing meme um and for our third and final fun fact the choreography for Yin's dance rehearsal was originally going to be was originally going to use reference provided by brian konitsko's wife but an injury prevented her from doing so before the storyboards were sent to the animation studio that's interesting (laughs) that is interesting any idea like was she a dancer or were they just going to like have her do it and she didn't do it i don't know but that's something i've always loved about avatar and legend of korra but avatar especially because we have a lot of footage of it that Mm -hmm. you can find on youtube but literally brian mike and brian they would act out all the characters like mm-hmm. not even just the male characters or the adults, like every character they would act out and they would film themselves doing it. And this was in Nickelodeon. And I think I might've even mentioned this like way back when we did Avatar. Um, and they would, the animators would rotoscope over the footage that they would shoot uh-huh. to make it easier to animate in the final stages, you know, the animation. So 
I, I, I've always found that so fascinating. And I'm watching like this, this reference footage that they shoot. And I'm like, wow, it is just like the show, like the movements and the, mm -hmm. just the weird angles that they're getting. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's just like, it's like, it was shot directly to be, you know, animated straight from that. So it's a, I always find that very fascinating, like drawing from real life references. Nice. Yeah. Um, the, you know, some of the, the, action sequence like the fight sequences a lot of those were also like rotoscoped and he had like the martial artists and things and mm -hmm. yeah you're absolutely right it adds so much more realism it adds weight to the to the character's movements because they are literally drawn is, off of yeah. a real person's movements just a cartooned over um exactly yeah this this episode this episode has a lot of a lot of meat to it there's a lot that happens in these two episodes um mm -hmm. I, I mean in classic in classic legend of Korra fashion we have you know they arrive at at the the the, the metal clan's city and mm -hmm. of course you know lynn is like yeah i don't want to go i'm not interested what is there to see and anybody can see through it you know her her, yeah. <laughs> her facade was like almost as obvious as like Unalox. <laughs> yep. Yeah, very clearly. Uh you're hiding something. Why don't you want to be here? You're the chief of police of Republic City. Like and this and the the town but or not town but the city is called Zaofu. Um and I like just kind of going off that, but I absolutely love Zaofu. <laughs> Me like, too. It's so as, cool as a concept as like not just a concept but the way that they executed it the way it looks the way it's animated like everything about it is like peak like i absolutely love the idea of having an entire city basically made from metal by metal benders it's it reminds me so much of omashu you know with yeah. the the mail system shoots and everything and how they that required earth bending and same with the water tribe or i should say the northern water tribe where in order to get around, you would have to, you know, bend through the tunnels and the canals. And like, you know, it was, it's, I love when they integrate bending into the world and it's not, you know, just New York city, but yeah. <laughs> avatar, yeah. like it is with Republic city, not to throw shade. I love Repu Republic city, but it's not nearly as creative as something like Zaofu or, um, you know, Omashu or the Northern water tribe. Well, you know, an interesting statement that's made several times uh, during these two episodes is that Zafu is the safest city in the world. Now, mm -hmm. I want to say a little bit more about it than they did in the show. Because in the show, the entire city closes up like a flower. A flower, yeah. Which <laughs> is beautiful. You know, mm. they literally close up the pod people there, you know close up their giant city pod and then in the morning they just open it back up again so yeah pretty darn safe for one thing but number yeah. but number two like on sheer principle unless everything is going to go horribly horribly wrong in the episodes following which knowing the show they probably will but like you got to think though in prince at least at very least in principle it is very very difficult because with everything in the city being made of metal and as you just mm -hmm. said, even the transportation systems in the city require you, for all intents and purposes, require you to be a metal bender in order to operate it and move around. Mm 
-hmm. like there's no there's no canals of water for waterbenders to use there's no you know there's not even the actual not much actual dirt around like yeah sure there's some rocks Mm -hmm. and stuff like but we see bowling bend and some things but you know what i mean like it's primarily a city where metal benders are going to have way more of their element around than any other type of benders well except air benders i'm sure there's plenty of air around but (laughs) yeah but the whole point though is that the city's entire how you move from place to place like right when they first get there there's that whole like elevator where like the metal letters metal benders bring them in they close the doors with metal bending and then they move the elevator down the shaft with metal bending they get out the trolley system the train system which moves with the use of metal bending like anybody else is gonna have a hard time getting around in the city so like the entire mobility of moving around if you tried to attack them or like steal from somebody in there and run away i'm assuming unless you're the members of the red lotus but like (laughs) but but everybody else your common person or a non-bender god help you like that's it you're done the entire city is a giant game of mousetrap (laughs) right yeah, and it, I mean, of course, you know that that's just a red herring them saying that because you know that something's going to go wrong because nope. it's Legend of Korra. No one says, <laughs> gets on the Titanic, not even God could sink this ship. <laughs> I bet you a sturdy ship is good and true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're jinxing uh, yeah, yourself. No. <laughs> exactly. Um, but yeah, no, I, I absolutely love that. And you know, it. I think it fits so well with how bending has enha- not enhanced, but um, how it's changed over the past six years since Aang died, and um, how much it's advanced. That's what I was trying to say, advanced. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact that it was built by Toph and her family, like, I think that that is so cool. And just yeah. Anyway, I'm gonna stop gushing over Zeph because we got so much other stuff to talk about. <laughs> no, but it's a, an amazing dynamic, very unique and never seen before. Um, I feel like the Lady Gaga meme, where she's like, "Amazing, sensational, show-stopping, <laughs> never the same." Yes, <laughs> it, it's a great setting for this, and I also love that this entire um, this pair of episodes takes place solely other than like the b story off there in the northern right. air temple or the, the southern, story su- takes place. southern yeah. air temple i mean yeah the a story takes place there uh in south Fu. so um so yeah so so they get there and very quickly they find out that su yin is um she straight out reveals herself that she's lin's sister because she's mm-hmm. like also what's it the guy who just like randomly he has the ability to like sense when people are lying like okay <laughs> really quick and just kind of thrown in but like okay well well no because remember think back to avatar Toph was able to sense people's like hearts and all that and be able to tell if they were lying or not she used that ability multiple oh, times throughout the series. So was that guy just doing what she did? He just didn't... Okay, because he made it literally sound like, I can tell because I'm psychic. Like No, no, okay. no. <laughs> he literally made yeah. it sound like that without explaining it. He just gave himself some kind of fancy title for it. It was like, I can tell when people are lying. I'm like, well, that's very convenient. 
Well, because Cora asked, like, how do you know I was lying? Right. And he explains exactly what I just said, that, you know, when people lie, their heart rate increases. And so he's able to sense that through the vibrations in the earth. Well, and that, well, okay. Exactly how okay. I, don't, I don't, don't know if he did. He explain just quite that many words. He just explained, I can tell because your heart rate, your heart rate increases. I don't know if he explained it as being vibrations through the ground the same way that Toph explained it. No, no. See, I was that's that that's, on, but... that's that's where the that's, <laughs> that's where the that's where the disconnect came for me. That's I didn't associate it at all with Earthbending at all. Right? I was like, what? She has a random psychic around. Aunt Wu's descendant. <laughs> that's what I was thinking. I was like, is this guy predicting the weather for them too? <laughs> So funny. Okay. Well, thank oh you for explaining God. that because I did not connect the two. I didn't connect it with the whole earthbending thing like Toph did. Yeah, no, of course. I think I also only associated Toph as having the ability to like sense vibrations from people when their like heart injury changes because she was blind. Mm-hmm. And I thought of it kind of like a daredevil type way, like her senses are enhanced because she's blind. And so it never occurred to me that like any regular earthbender potentially could do the same thing i thought it was just her because she was right. blind well i think initially it was <laughs> yeah and then they were like well this would be cool if we could like expand on this particular asset or um uh what? I, i'm like mixing my words of facet there we go facet of earthbending you know the the truth seeing or whatever right. um but uh yeah initially she was the only one that we knew of at least that could do that so well now like apparently everybody, everybody and their mom apparently now literally everybody and their mom can can metal bend if you if if you want it really yeah. badly in your heart you can metal bend apparently yes which again i i know that some people are you know they shit all over the bending logic in legend of Korra and like how is this possible when this wasn't possible then blah blah like for me metal bending I I give it a pass, unlike the you know the blood bending without a full moon. That's just kind of stupid, and they pulled that out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. But I let it slide because it's so cool. But with metal bending, I while yes, Toph was the first to develop it because of her inability to see. Like she had to really be one with the earth in order. I mean, she was to, just you know, an earth bending god. Let's just be honest. <laughs> yeah, basically. So you know, she discovered it, but it's not the metal itself that she's bending right just the pieces of earth inside the metal so that stands to reason that a powerful earthbender could do the same thing you yeah. know what i mean it's, like it's it's almost like it's almost like it never occurred to anybody that they could metal bend it's not that you can't it's just you have to kind of Think you that, have to think creative out of the box yeah, yeah literally which is what she had to do to right. get out of the box right exactly <laughs> so <laughs> oh my god what's with you and the puns today did we switch brains for the record everybody Apparently. for the record everybody let let the record stand that for a change amanda usually <laughs> re-watches she watches the episodes what do you even watch them the same day as the podcast normally not usually no there's usually like at, at, several days in advance right there's at least a full day that amanda watches the episode a break a full day before she records the podcast whereas i usually 
watch it immediately before the podcast so everything's fresh in my mind because i like unlike her haven't seen the episodes you know a hundred times before Mm. well well today we switched and i watched the episodes because i had a busy day like i watched it like 12 hours ago and she watched right before so i think that when you watch the episodes right before i think the puns just roll right off your tongue i think it's it's it it's the effect it's the the avatar effect the puns are just too powerful let the puns flow through you they do flow through you yes it's the spirit of Sokka coming to you and imparting pun bending <laughs> like a lion turtle just... <laughs> oh lord we are losing it we, but we, anyway we back to metal <laughs> yeah yes. so um yeah, metal bending yeah, is, is a big rule of cool, but no, like you said, though, it, it is really a matter of thinking outside the box and realizing, oh, if I can bend earth, I actually ought to be able to bend metal because within the metal is mineral fragments that I can grab onto, you know, and, and use it to to kind of, in a way, you're almost as we talked about when with metal bending uh, in season season one of our podcast that is to say in avatar Mm. when when she invented the metal bending it's almost like you're kind of not actually bending the metal you're just bending something that is in the metal so innately ingrained that the metal just kind of goes along with it (laughs) yeah you're not actually bending the metal itself you know Um, yeah exactly and you know people could use that same um logic for blood bending right. like how did no one in the you know thousands of years that bending has been around how did no one think of blood bending until hama which you know was only 70 years before ang's time you know what right. i mean like and it and the only reason that she came up with it was because she was in prison and she like had all this time to develop this skill that no one else had done before just like toff did so it's like you when you think about it like that it's like yeah no i think that metal bending certainly could you know advance to the point where more and more people as time went on would be would be able to do it would pick up the skill especially if you're related to the one that created metal bending you know what i mean like yeah. the beifongs damn near all of them are benders and all the ones that are benders are metal benders so it's like you know it makes sense you, it's like a <laughs> genetics i don't know but uh yeah, yeah no yeah, and I mean, and bearing in mind that, like, blood is 90% water. And and so, in a way, it's almost more innately obvious for a waterbender to be able to <laughs> right. bend blood than it is for a metal bender to realize there are little bits of rock mineral inside metal and be able to manipulate them. Like, you know, you think blood bending would be way more common. <laughs> right. Yeah, thank God it's not, though. Jeez. Thank, thank God. But, um... But yeah, no, so, um, but you know, there's a, that reunion between uh, Lin and and Suyin. Uh, we get introduced to all of Suyin's family, very briefly, I believe mm-hmm. it is, to her husband, Batar. Yes, so let's just run down the list real quick, because there's so many characters in this damn episode. I know, so I wrote them all Suyin. down because I love, I yes. love Lin's family. Yes, I love the Beifongs. They could get their own show and I'd be happy. So you got Su Yin, who's our mother, 
our mother, my mom. Wow. <laughs> mommy, the way you feel about Lynn is the way I feel about Suyin. She is mommy to me. Wow. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm literally dying. Oh my god. Um, anyway, so Suyin and then her husband Batar mm -hmm. and their oldest son, who is a non-bender and will become much more important in the next season, Batar Jr. Um, Huon, who is Shrillix. <laughs> I love him. He's the artist. He is just a goth e-boy. Like, I, I love him. He's so I, funny. I, I really do love him. <laughs> My sculpture. <laughs> it's not a banana. It's not a banana. It's just like, he has like five lines and he kills them. All of them. Is he <laughs> so funny. Is he by his voiced by anyone in particular? Yes, he is. I was wondering if you were going to notice. He's voiced by Jason Marsden, who voices Max Goof and from Goofy Movie. Oh my gosh. Kovu from The Lion King. My my king. I love Kovu. Uh -huh. And like a million other characters. But like those are... Oh, and Thackeray Binks in Hocus Pocus. Oh, the cat. Oh, that's <laughs> so. so funny. But see, like, he only... He had so many few lines. And as you know, You're like, right. you know, I, I didn't have enough reference for it. But yeah, mm -hmm. I didn't pick it. That's hilarious. Absolutely yeah. amazing. <laughs> Yeah, voice acting legend, and he just gets you know reduced to this. He gets like he gets like three lines, but he kills all of them. They're so great. We love it. Absolutely love and it. And of course, this character, despite giving so little screen time, got a huge following because of course he did. He's like a Tumblr boy. Oh yeah, absolutely. And of course. Um, and then we've got Opal, who is who was, I should say, a non-bender, but gained earthbending through harmonic convergence, and mm -hmm. she's a total sweetheart, and the love interest for, Bo for Bolin. And then we have the youngest, um, which are the twins, Win, Win and Wei, I believe. Is, yeah, I Win and Wei. I think it's Wing. Is it Wing? Is it Wing? I think it's Wing, wing and Wei. Yeah. Yeah, there we go. Um, and they are also metal benders. So, yeah, that's a, that's a really big family. <laughs> Five yeah kids. yeah i love it um and i mean the the kids are great i was speaking the just swerving real quick onto opal i was very mm. surprised how big of a role in the story she had i was sure that we were going to get introduced and it was going to be her daughter and that we were going to spend like this much time on her and then like focus right. a whole bunch on like Lin and Suyin and whatever it is that happened between the two of them. Mm -hmm. But no, they made a choice that I absolutely love where instead of just leaving her as just like, oh, here was our reason to come here. Now let's shuffle her away like any of the other airbenders uh so right. far. Um that they give her not only a pivotal role in the middle of the conflict between Lin and Suyin. And not only do they give her a pivotal role, but they also give her this great, just, I love, absolutely love the training scene between her and Korra. Mm -hmm. It is, it, it, I will actually tell you, as much as I love everything with Lynn, as much as I love all the stuff with the family, as much as I love the introdu introduction of all the family members and everything, as much as we love the city setting and how cool it is, Cora and Opal's training session scene was the highlight of the episode for me. Really? Interesting. Why do you think that? I think it's 
Number one, it is a moment where Cora, in the in a very pure and undistracted sense, bonds with another character in a way that she hasn't really made a connection or a friend probably since she met Bolin and Mako in season one. Mm. I mean, think about it. everybody that she gets introduced to. She, they're in like a big crowded scene, and she just kind of gets a person shoved her way, and then they're they're with. She doesn't really get one on one time to like, you know, right. And Cora thrives as a character when she is one on one with other people. And I don't know if this is intentional on the part of the writers, but I find it interesting that you can have Cora in a group, and she always feels like she has to chest up. She's always right. hyper-aggressive. It's almost like the bigger a group you put her in, the more pressure she feels. Almost like it's an anxiety thing. The more she has to be mm-hmm. big, tough core and not let anybody talk down to her, and the more she has to get aggressive with people. Almost like she has to prove something. But you put her on a bridge with an airbender who's ready to jump, surrounded mm-hmm. by the police, and she sits down, she gets real honest, and she gets real open, and she lets herself be vulnerable. And it's great. Yeah. It's, it's a really the best of her comes out. And so I love the scene. Just, oh yeah, sorry, jump in. Oh, I just, well, as you were talking about that, I was trying to think back to like one-on-one scenes with Cora in the first season. And immediately what, what popped into my mind was her date with Bolin and how like cute and like charming that was. And yeah, it, it is true. I think that you completely hit the nail on the head that she is best at one-on-one character interactions. And I yeah so continue what about yeah, the Cor- scene Cor- Cor is an introvert it confirmed she just is forced to put on her extrovert <laughs> right masking is so hard yeah that's why she's under so much stress all the time she's an introvert who's constantly masking because she's the center of attention what a nightmare being an introvert who's the center of attention everywhere you go right yeah and an introvert with anger issue problems Right. Okay. So, so you have that, and you put her in with this, as you said, this like absolute angel of a character in the form of Opal. She's so pure. She's so just like sweet and nice. Cinnamon roll. She is. She's a cinnamon <laughs> roll. And you put the two of them together, and there's this amazing chemistry, and the scene flowed like, like, like air like air like wind and i i i I love the visual i love the lighting in the scene where it's this sort of dark like just past sundown type of lighting Mm. where things are dark and they're very red and then they start bending and she reassures her where it's kind of like i'm not very good and she's just kind of that's okay i just learned too again there's that beautiful sort of like humility where when Cora's away from a crowd and doesn't feel like she needs to impress anybody she opens up one-on-one and she's very quick with no ego no embarrassment to be able to say you know I I I suck at this too it's you want to do it together because I'm just as bad at it as you it's like it's like somebody who's like I don't dance very well it's like neither do I what do we got to lose right yeah no it's it's very very true it's and it's such a short scene it's like a minute long but it is as i mean everything you just said completely right like i i i get lost in all the world building and the new characters but yeah when it comes to like actual scenes that probably is one of the best ones in the episode because there are so many um but uh yeah it is so nice to just see cora you know kind of as you said opening up and kind of revealing that I've never taught anyone. I'm still kind of learning this myself. And 
you know, I'd be happy to help you if you want to, if you want to give it a go. Like it's, it's just so sweet to see them working together and like actually succeeding. Like, you know, they actually do manage to, you know, airbend very well together. And it's, it is a very cute scene. I love how it shows like their two inflows around each other and then the two connect and it becomes this stream between them where the two of them are like connecting. Yep. (laughs) And for a brief moment, I went, is this a ship? This has got to be a ship. Someone has shipped to this. <laughs> I'm sure it is a ship somewhere. <laughs> With that Copal? Copal? I was doing drink. the same thing too. I was trying to like put together and I was like, oh, Oprah? <laughs> Oprah? <laughs> Oprah? <laughs> Beyonce? Yeah. <laughs> It is a very, very good scene for sure. Yeah. So no, um, I, but I, know, I, I could talk about it all day long. Sorry. Oh yeah. Apparently. Um, yeah. I'm trying to think of, so like, so we've talked enough, I think about Zalfu and the Beifongs, unless there was anything else that you wanted to add to that. Oh, well, there's one major thing that we have to talk about in this episode. Oh, which, which is that? <laughs> Varric is back. Oh, that's right. <laughs> I was thinking it was in the next one. Oh my nope. god! See, this is what happens when I watch them back to back. Um, yeah, no, Varric, my man. I told you he was gonna be back. <laughs> I <laughs> thought he was gonna be gone. And of all the places for him to turn up, <laughs> here. I adore his first line. <laughs> like I can't remember if it was like a Sami or Korra, but they basically just asked him, "What are you doing here?" And his response is. Great question. I mean, what are any of us doing here? Wow, food for thought. <laughs> it's like, what the fuck? He has not missed a beat. His lines are so good. <laughs> yeah, there's no real reason for him to be here. They just were like, we can't not bring Varric back. It, like, it, it was such a great line, too. And I got to say, I appreciate it. I think I must. I have a little of the Varric in me when, when people say, what it was just the other day, I'm that person who people say, how'd you sleep? And I go, with my eyes closed. (laughs) (laughs) And the the other day, my mom came walking in the room and she had, I had like, she had like popped out of the room for like just a split second Mm -hmm. to go get something. And I came walking in and she turned around and like was startled that I was there. She goes, where did you come from? And I literally dead in the face, not missing a beat. And I go, from you. (laughs) (laughs) Of course she did. Of course. <laughs> and my mom was like, why did I even ask? <laughs> right. Yeah, so Varric's like, what are any of us doing here, actually? <laughs> Perfect hour. Food for thought. <laughs> yes, <laughs> we love it. And we, uh, yeah, again, it's like, I know that he has a huge story arc in season four, but it's so funny because looking at him in season three, I'm like, Again, he doesn't need to be here. Like no, they just he, put him in because they like he's him. He's just so here much. for just straight clowning. So that like when Literally. he come, when he's we'll see. And you know what? That's an interesting thing because just like we were saying recently about something else. Um, I think it was the mm-hmm. uh the whole issue. Oh, it was the whole issue with the Earth Queen with uh the the land from the Earth Kingdom being stolen and all that. We yes. were we were saying how there was probably more of a plan for for like you've been renewed for three for for seasons three and four it's like okay let's Mm -hmm. let's 
start planting seeds in season three for things that will be relevant in season four so the story is more we're not we're not inventing new things on episode one and then trying to develop them over like four or five episodes right yeah no it definitely like it almost feels like the writers were like we don't want people to forget that Varric is the character since he has such a major story in right. season four. So like, let's just plop him in just in Zaufu. Like he'll just be hanging. <laughs> like, and of course, no one's going to complain about that. I have no arguments here. Right. Not us. Not me. <laughs> but, uh, you know, <laughs> look at us. <laughs> um, but you know, the big theme in the episode, one, one really, really major theme is, um, this whole issue of Toph being raised by strict parents. Oh yeah. Yeah. This is, this is a hot issue for Legend of Korra slash Avatar fans. I'm curious, like what you, how you feel about it. As far as like it being put into the show. Well, just like everything that we learn about adult Toph in these two episodes and like how her actions and behavior affected her kids. Like, you know, I think that, there's a lot to discuss there and i don't know if you want to wait until the next episode i do to talk because about that, we, that's or... when we okay. get the whole story but i do want to point out that this is something that we've discussed on the show before we've discussed the whole issue of and and this in the vague sense i'm going to take on now the specifics of what happens with lynn and her sister i want to talk about in the next episode um but you know we've talked about this generational shift we've talked about mm-hmm. parents who are very very strict with their kids and how the kids then in rebellion against them can often when they have children go the exact opposite way and it's funny and so true that they made that the literal plot line of what's gone wrong for the bayfongs i did not intend that to rhyme like that <laughs> yeah but, right but but you know for top and but like somebody and this is like this is this is demartino at his best is analyzing mm. the characters that he's created before in order to say because they were this way and because they came from this this background and because they learned this about themselves what's the next logical step in their character progression this is this is where the creators of the show kill it because i mean obviously they move along the evolution of these characters it's interesting with legend of korra the characters themselves korra mako bolin yeah, they've taken strides as characters, but they haven't really evolved in huge steps the way that Sokka and Aang and Katara and Zuko literally transformed before our very eyes over three seasons of, mm-hmm. of Avatar The Last Airbender. And so it's interesting for Martino to lean in here with this episode writing it and not take a character we know and evolve them, per se, but to sort of retroactively go back and say okay when Toph was an adult and had a family how would they have been transformed by who she was mm-hmm. and a sort of using that cause and effect of how instead of how do i evolve this character into who they are to literally look at them and go based on who this character is what would their kids have been like right and it's just it's just very interesting it's it's very very interesting and again very validating because we've talked about this in different contexts before talking about episodes about like 
you know, I don't know what it was. Maybe we were doing like the beach or something like that, mm-hmm. you know, and we they dug deep into character reasons why characters are the way they are. And I know that we mm-hmm. got a lot out of that episode. Oh, for sure. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's it is very fascinating um, just seeing a character that we know and love from Avatar as an adult with her their own kids. And like you said, seeing how the character that we know how they were able to inform the characters that, you know, come from Legend of Korra. Um, and yeah, like I said, we'll, we'll talk more about it in the next episode, but um, yeah, I do really like that they expanded on not just Toph, but also Lynn and uh, her family. Um, so now we haven't talked about the B plot. No, yet, we haven't. No, nope. which, <laughs> yeah, which I actually really liked this B plot. Like, you know, the past couple episodes i feel like the a plot or the b plot has been stronger or you know one has been stronger than the other but i actually feel like this for this episode like the the plot lines are both very very strong um and basically zahir who is sporting a fresh cut um he goes to the temple where you know the new airbenders are being held and he is under you know, under a pseudonym, he's in disguise, they don't know it's him. And he's like killing it in the airbending training, whereas all the other airbenders are sucking hardcore like Cora was. Um, and that kind of raises suspicion in Kaya. She's like watching him get through the gates, like flawlessly. And she, it's kind of sus. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so like what what were your thoughts on this plot line you're gonna laugh you're you're gonna laugh i know you're gonna laugh at what i'm about to say oh oh no i had no idea it was him until kaya called it on it oh my god i had no idea i had no idea it was him i was like who's this guy? And I was trying to piece together because yeah, we obviously he couldn't be trusted, but I'm like, who, right. who's this new character? Obviously he's <laughs> oh like, God. he's like working with the red Lotus or something. And I'm like, why is he after Korra? <laughs> is the red Lotus. Right. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. They <laughs> I had, am the one who knocks. They, they had me the entire time. Oh my God. That's so funny. Yeah. I was like, who is this guy? And I was like trying to figure out who he was. I was like, is he going to like sneak out in the middle of the night and like report to Zahir? Is he like Zahir's brother? Is he like somebody <laughs> else? Secret brother. Is he? Is he? You know, is, my brain even went so far. Is he the son of Sparky Sparky Boom Man? Because no, he was please. bald too. <laughs> Like, oh wow! I was in that case. He could have been the son of Aang. Like, right. I was Aang's like, I, I even that even occurred to me too. I was like, oh my god, it, no! I was all over the place with my like theories inside my head of who this character was. I'm like, how how is this guy so good at this airbending? Well, because here's why. Part of why it here's part of why it got me a little bit. Mm-hmm. The main reason why it got me is because it's so easy for me to forget, or. I don't know how to phrase this. In my mind, it still kind of doesn't make sense how Zaheer 
knows how to airband so incredibly well off of nothing but book knowledge. <laughs> and so when they're like, right. wow, this guy's a really skilled airbender, I didn't connect it to because, because he's Zaheer and Zaheer has read a lot about it, therefore he's super good about it. I was like, who's this guy right. who apparently has practiced airbending for like his entire life? Like, is he not, is he, is he some other airbender that's like not related mm-hmm. to Aang at all and they aren't the last airbenders? And like, this is some twist, but like, there's, there's, there's a clan of, of evil airbenders my mind went everywhere (laughs) big brain moment (laughs) yeah i clearly i overthought the entire thing which i mean is typical me but yeah and then kaya's just like sees him in the room reading the thing and she's just like oh very clearly you've like you know read a lot about this because he starts quoting like the the guru and, and everything mm-hmm. and then she's like because i hear and i was like wait what 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 <laughs> plot twist <laughs> the most obvious plot twist of all time <laughs> and you didn't see it because it was that obvious <laughs> they told me to open the door and i did everything but turn the handle <laughs> right for me, like it, I knew it was him from the get go because I had watched the trailer for season three so many times, and like we see multiple shots of him with that same, you know, haircut. So I was like, oh, okay, so it's just him. He's just they don't know it's him, but we do. So that's just so funny. <laughs> You're like, who is this guy? You got him. <laughs> they got me. I, I, they did. I was like, I have no idea who this. I've, I've never seen this man before in my life. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it! I was gonna say that. Oh man. <laughs> Yeah, that's so funny. Um, but see, this is why I'm surprised that you said, like, I, I totally get what you mean for all the Zaofu segments for the animation. But I thought that this animation, this fight yeah, between no, Kaya and Zaheer, yeah. stunning. Yeah, they woke up the animator from, like, the season finale of two and be like, hey, can you come in for, like, this, like, one minute scene? He's like, sure. Right. Kick ass. Yeah, no, the, the fight scene, because... We haven't, like, we've seen Kaya throw a couple water whips and all that, but not yes. no, like, full-on fight scenes. But this bitch is awesome. Like, I love that she was able to hold her own against him. Um, and, like, obviously he got away, but still, like, for the longest time she was, she had him, like, yeah. multiple points. And he just was too, too good. But, uh, yeah, no, it's a stunning fight. I love just the use, because it's not often that we see water versus air right because ang and katara would never fight like that right. and there there weren't like any water bending villains in except for maybe hama but um in avatar so we never get to see that combo that fight combo and it's so cool because they're very similar elements while also being obviously their own separate things um and, and, the, so, and the last time and one of the only times in Korra that we've ever seen airbending versus water <laughs> uh, was Amon and Korra. And that was a very short exchange. Yeah. Uh, and that, yeah, that, that was. Um, <laughs> we don't talk about the finale. It's fine. <laughs> the one, the one, oh. She was one punch man for like one episode or rather one kick, yeah. one kick woman. Yes. Um, and so yeah, Zaheer manages to knock Kaya out and, along with the White Lotus members. Can I can I a- can I quickly mention one thing? Oh yeah, go for it. During that fight you were saying how, you know, we've never seen Kaya fight at this level. One thought mm. came into my mind the entire time as soon as I saw her in that moment where she like 
he thinks that she's knocked out and then she like pulls all the water back to use it yep. and she's got like the double things going around her and she's all ready to go my brain <laughs> injured just leapt in with the thought that is katara's daughter yep is such a guitar like the whole scene is just so katara yep like this is her like that would be katara at her prime like doing those kind of moves like being that quick and that fierce like mm -hmm. in the bending it it's so so cool um you really do see katara shine through kaya in that moment and it, it's really cool um but uh yeah she she does lose the fight ultimately and zaheer you know flies off with his glider and he's he's going after Korra now that he knows that she's not going to the air temple. She's at Zaufu. Um, and uh, I believe that's the end of the episode, isn't it? <laughs> well, well, the whole, he knows that she's not at the air temple. That's you've jumped ahead to the end of the next episode, but oh wait, Oh my God. Yeah, guys, no, I'm sorry. No, I'm he just, <laughs> no, he just, he just, he just kite of darknesses away. Like, right okay so he just pulls a vatu gotcha yeah um. he just vatus away it'd be funny oh if God. his kite opened up and it was like a little mini vatu kite <laughs> he just, he just laughs it <laughs> just flies away that would be great oh my god yeah so he hang glides he... <laughs> oh no zatu zatu <laughs> um but yeah, so that is pretty much the entire Metal Clan episode. So yeah. what what would you rank this episode? I'm curious, because it sounds like you like the next one more. <laughs> I, I like a lot of things about both episodes. I do I do like a lot of the next one, but like mm, I don't know, they're hard they're hard to rate against each other. They're both really, really good. Um they really I, work as like a duo almost, which like, is why I'm so glad that we yeah. paired them. Like it just happened to pair up like this. I was like, oh, perfect. The Zaufu episodes. I love that. <laughs> yeah, it really is like it's like the Metal Clan parts one and two in a way. Um, I don't know. I got to give this one a, a strong rating. Um, I'm going to go with 8.7 out of 10. Hmm, Nice. Actually, it was higher than I thought you were going to give it. Sweet. <laughs> <laughs> what did you think I was going to do? Oh, I don't know. I was thinking maybe like 8. I either thought you were going to do the 8.4, which is the IMDb rating, or maybe like 8.5. I didn't think you were going to go higher than that. So that's awesome. Mommy Baypong um, is in it. Of course, I'm not. I'm going to give it higher than right. the IMDb. And Varric. Yes, and Varric. Yeah, both. <laughs> um, yeah, so I actually, I love this episode. This this is one of the few Legend of Korra episodes that I would watch just by itself because I just love the world building. I love the Beifong so much. Um, I love Suyin. So this one for me <laughs> is actually like a 9.5. Whoa! Yo! Yeah, yo! <laughs> oh, holy shit. <laughs> yeah, no. I I absolutely love this episode. Wow. Both of these two episodes. But uh Okay, wait, wait, yeah, wait, wait. I we just... we've we've been talking about the nitty-gritty in the episode, but come on now, you've just jumped almost a whole point above me and ranked this as like <laughs> one of your legend one of your highest rated Legend of Korra episodes since season one. So come on. Like take an extra minute here at least. What is it about this episode that makes it one of your favorite episodes? Like what makes this so rewatchable for you? Well, again, it's like everything. Like I 
and I'm even struggling to think of like anything that I didn't like. Like there is a lot of exposition, but like I don't think it's done poorly. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of there yeah. and it's necessary in order to like get to know all these characters. But so that's maybe the only bad thing about it, quote unquote bad. But like I said, I love the world building. I love the introduction of Zhao Fu and the the extended Beifang family. I love Su Yin as a character just in general. Um, she's up there as like top five favorite. Like it goes Varric, Amon, Korra, Suyin. <laughs> like that's that's the ranking for me. Nice. She's that high up. I, I absolutely love her. Um, and then, uh, you know, I love the B plot with Zaheer and just the incredible fight scene with Kaya at the end. Like it really, it's just, for me, it's and, like a perfect package. And it's got family angst, which I know in general you like in stories. Yes. <laughs> I, I love the drama. I mean, you, the, I uh... mean you, you watch Star Wars purely for the Skywalker drama, so... <laughs> yes. It's like your favorite part. Some familial drama. <laughs> yes. Yep. Okay, um, I can see. It so yeah. checks off all the boxes for you then. Mm-hmm. And I, I personally think it's beautifully animated, like the way that they animate the characters, um, the way that they animate Zhao Fu, the fight scene at the end. Like, yeah, there is a lot of standing and walking around and talking. But like, again, they at least it looks nice when they're doing, you oh, know what and I mean? It, and it does. <laughs> like, and it does. I just noticed a little more like simple drawings and things not quite as ornate. But you are right. Like the top tier right. animators jumped in for sure for the for the final fight scene. And mm-hmm. speaking of episodes with awesome animation and awesome fight scenes <laughs> right <laughs> speaking of episodes that are 9.5 no i'm just kidding <laughs> <laughs> this brings us to the next episode episode six old wounds i got some more stuff to mm-hmm. say about writers because this episode mm-hmm. is written by katie matilla now Go ahead, say what I was you're gonna say. If you're gonna remember. Oh, how could I forget? How could I forget? So, Katie Matilla, for those of our listeners who may not remember, Katie Matilla was one of the writers for the uh, Tales. Was it Tales of Basing Say? Was it the the, the mm-hmm. name of the episode and the Tale, yeah. Tale of Zuko episode mm-hmm. that we've the re- best one, the best one, <laughs> the one we've referenced multiple times since then, was written yep. by none other than Katie Matilla. Katie Matilla, who, unless I miss my guess, also returned, and she was the writer of The Beach. Yeah, I actually don't remember if she wrote The Beach. Ooh, uh, wow. I just double-checked it. She, she, she did. She did. I just checked it. Was she the only writer? Because I could have sworn that someone else had written it. I think she was probably co-writer. I think there are two of them on credit for the episode. Uh, Let me click on it and see what it says. Nope, it just says written by Katie Matilla and directed by Joaquin Dos Santos. Huh. Yeah. Interesting. I can't believe that I forgot that. (laughs) And so so Katie, Katie brings this incredibly deep, powerful, heartfelt gut-wrenching emotion to the characters this raw emotional vulnerability of realness to the characters that is unmatched in my opinion by any other writer who Mm. in avatar and you know what's funny about that what is what hysterically funny about that is that she is credited in her imdb as being a comedy writer 
<laughs> of course. She, I'm not surprised. She has written for shows not like not only Avatar, which I believe is her very first writing credit, uh, and Legend of mm. Korra, but also uh, the Kung Fu Panda series. Yes. Rapunzel's Tangled Adventure. <laughs> yes. And the Unikitty, uh, the Unikitty <laughs> TV series. The OG. <laughs> So, yes. so there's a lot of truly like comedic writing that she has done, and I'm not familiar mm. with any of her other writing, but very clearly the other shows like are very funny shows. And but here, here she is, and it's so intensely dramatic and emotional, and like wow. Yeah, I'm not surprised because comedy, you know. I've always said that, and this applies to writing as well, but, you know, comedy actors are often the best ones for drama. Like, they're yeah. the ones that are able to bring that pathos and that, you know, empathy towards the acting and the characters that they play. And and it, you wouldn't expect it because you're so used to, you know, having them make you laugh. But comedy is just pain masking. Like, it's, Well, and to, be, you know, and to be even more exact about that, you know, in order to be anybody can put on a dramatic air and anybody can say a line right. and anybody can have a stage presence. But comedy, especially when it's your own material, when you're writing it, comedy has to you have to be able to connect emotionally with other people. You have to be able to mm -hmm. read a room. You have to be able to connect with what's going to make somebody else laugh. You have to be able to watch other people's reactions and see what's 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 doing it for them and then feed the comedy more. You have to have an emotional intelligence. And so, you know, like you say, people who are very funny, there's often a lot more happening underneath it. That person is expressing emotions. They're connecting with other people on a very strong level that is underrated uh, because again all they do is make us laugh and we don't think about all it takes to do that exactly you know uh, uh, that's awesome i was so happy to see her back <laughs> yeah no again it's so so good and especially with such huge huge writing credits in in the avatar world you know under her belt i really hope this is not the last we see of her as far as writing mm -hmm. credits go i did not peek ahead to see if she writes any other episodes of cora <laughs> um but yeah but it's it's great to have her back uh, the episode is directed by Ian Graham. It is animated beautifully by <laughs> Studio <Be> you. <laughs> uh The episode aired July 18th, 2014, and the IMDb rating of Old Wounds is a solid, I feel, underrated 8.5 out of 10. Yeah, I was actually kind of, this is one of those ones that I was shocked that it wasn't like a nine or above because this mm -hmm. is often one of those episodes that people cite as being like one of their favorites of the series. Mm -hmm. So I was surprised that it was only 8.5 out of 10, which is not a bad score by any means. But for like a fan favorite episode, you'd think that it'd be higher, you know, in the ratings. Right. You'd hope. Yeah, um, right. But yeah, but that's it for the stats. So take us away with those fun facts, Amanda. All right. I've only got two for this one. Surprisingly, I thought there'd be a lot more. Um, during her metal bending demonstration to Korra, Suyin creates several shapes from a piece of metal, such as Toph did with her bracelet in Sokka's Master. <laughs> that was a long break. Yeah. Remember when she got her meteorite bracelet and that uh, Sokka gave to her? She was like making the Nick logo and all that. Oh, that's oh, that's <laughs> right. I forgot entirely about that. Yeah, she was able to make like a key and all that to get yeah. out of the cell. But yeah, I totally forgot yeah, about so her doing that demonstration. 
Mm-hmm. Wow, yeah, I got easier. like a, I, I got my own flashback. <laughs> like I was undergoing acupuncture. I got my own flashback right then when yeah. you said it. I love that you just kind of stared off. Like I don't get it. Yeah, it <laughs> all it, it all came rushing back after like three and a half seconds. And it's all coming back. <laughs> yeah, no, but I did like that callback, and I noticed that the first time that the episode aired, I was like, oh, just like Toph did with the meteorite bracelet. Um, so our second fun fact also involves Toph. Jesse Flower, who voiced Toph in Avatar, plays young Suyin in the flashbacks. And Grey Delisle, who voiced Azula, plays younger Lin in the flashbacks. Oh, so, that's really funny. Yeah. yeah, once you know that, you, like, can't unhear it. <laughs> so, well, Grey Delisle, but, uh, I actually suspected it was Grey Delisle because her voice is... It's just pretty distinctive. Very you can distinct. usually tell it's yeah. her. Um, so I actually picked it up and I was like, that sounds like Grey Delisle filling in this voice. That sounds like it's her. I actually did not pick it up on being Jesse Flower. I guess I wasn't like thinking of it. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Well, also, she's much older than she was, you know, when they were recording Avatar. She's like 10 plus years older. So, right. um, but I I can still hear the like Toff twinge. like. Uh-huh. And in certain line deliveries that she has, I'm like, oh, that sounds like Toph, like older <laughs> Toph. Um, but uh, yeah, no, it is really cool that she was able to come back and voice young Suyin. I wish that they had done that with more characters, like, you know, having um, Mae Whitman come back as Katara or, you know, Jack DeSena as Sokka or because, I mean, we have Dante Bosco as uh, General Iroh, right. completely different character, obviously, but um <laughs> I think it'd be so cool if they were able to do that with more characters, like even just background characters, like have an airbender be voiced, you know, by Zachary Eisen who voiced Aang, like right. just, you know, bring the whole gang back. I want them all. They're so good. Yeah. 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 Wow. No, that's so funny. What, wow. No, I, well then who, who voices, uh, adult Toph? Anybody notable? Is it just Jesse um, doing her doing like an older voice or like, no, no. Uh, I cannot remember who the actress is. It's not somebody that I'm familiar with, um, but it is It is not Jesse Flower, for sure. Okay, okay. So somebody, just somebody else. <clears throat> yeah. Interesting. Interesting stuff. It is always interesting when, like, the other voice actors pop in, because who, who did Ray Delisle, she voiced at least one, if not two other characters so far, didn't she? In Korra? <laughs> well, well, she's done... Well, now four. She's done the, the spider spirit, the spirit mushroom. Right, yes, those are, those ones I remember. Uh, <laughs> and then she voices Mingwa in season three. Oh yeah, that's right. I forgot that it was her. <laughs> yeah, she doesn't talk a lot throughout the yeah, season, so like it's easy off. to yeah, forget yeah. that it's her. But yeah, mm-hmm. when you, when she does talk, you're like, that's Azula. That's just like crazy Azula voice. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah. So she definitely is a mainstay for uh, for Avatar in terms of voice acting, which is great because she's a fantastic voice actress. Yes. Um, so let's just jump right in. Like, I'm sure you want to discuss this because it's all about your girl. It, you know what? That it is. That it is. Um, <clears throat> it. I love that the episode focuses so much on Lynn and it, it, it carries over from a very emotional... Um, point with the character because you know we see her sort of left in her room after Cora's like this this is why you're going to be 
a bitter, lonely woman forever, basically mm-hmm. is what she says to her. Um, that you're always going to be a bitter, lonely woman. And like, it's in that moment at the very, very end of the last episode that Cora leaves and like slams the door or whatever. And we pan mm-hmm. over and we see Lynn for the very first time, like with all of her walls broken down, like completely alone in private yeah. and like tears re- running down her face, which is an agonizing final image in that episode. <clears throat> mm-hmm. And we pretty much pick up right up with that again. We pick up with her you know, being, being, you know, very, very upset at everybody about everything and just racked with it. Um, and you know, she runs into what, what's he called again? The truth teller. Is that what it was? Yeah. I weigh. Right. And so he, he goes and he lets her know that, you know, she's under a giant amount of stress and that you should probably go seek attention for it. Um, and so she does, she t- she accepts it. She goes to see the acupuncturist and mm. the acupuncturist. And I got big book of Boba Fett lying down in the back to tank, like flashbacks. <laughs> they were hundred percent cheated off of legend of Korra, by the way. <laughs> of course, Star Wars stealing from Avatar as per usual. Yeah. Like, like, vice versa. like Korra stealing from Marvel, <laughs> you know? Yep. <laughs> and, um, you know, but in, in so doing, she lies down and gets the acupuncture done. And, you know, she's, she's, uh, how do I say this? She's not really a believer. She's, she's a skeptic the entire time about any sort of benefits it has, how this is going to be cleansing for her in any way. But then comes the final needle for her forehead to kind of, you know, realign the old chakras there. And, mm. uh, when, when, uh, when he does it, it launches us into the flashbacks, the flashbacks of her and Suyin when they were younger. Mm-hmm. And just real quick, before we actually get into the flashbacks, I just, I'm just wondering, have you ever had acupuncture? I haven't. I've actually strongly considered getting acupuncture because the chiropractor that like my family uses, uh, he is an excellent chiropractor and his wife is an acupuncturist and they, their, their mm-hmm. office is like literally like 500 feet from my house. Interesting. Yeah, I haven't either, mostly because I, and you know this about me, but I'm terrified of needles. Mm -hmm. And, but from what I understand, yeah, you don't feel acupuncture needles Mm -hmm. needles at all. So it like, it takes away a lot of the like stress Mm -hmm. that I would be in. So I I would love to get it done at least once. I would, if it actually works and does anything. I I would, I only have like a slight hesitation about it because I have uh, a condition actually they what you call dermographism they call it dermographism Mm. because you can like scratch your arm in like the shape of letters and then like it'll rise up it'll like glow (laughs) bright pink oh i've seen that that's so i mean it's cool but it's also that sucks it's it's very painful (laughs) like it burns it burns like a mosquito bite like itching and burning for like an hour after it happens so i would only be worried that like the acupuncture spots i'd be hoping that wouldn't get irritated because that would be awful it'd be like literally like mosquito mm-hmm. bites <laughs> so yeah, no, i would that, have to have them like t- i would have to have them test one and like, like do it on my right. arm just one um but no but i oh, could goodness. yeah but i could see a lot of like the the benefits of that i've all i've always wanted to to try it i'm just eh, a little worried about that one yeah. thing maybe not <laughs> maybe not <laughs> yeah but it's great i mean i think it's great as you know um 
people use it as all kinds of things. You know, people use it as, uh, as part of like a, that sort of, um, that sort of spiritual cleansing. Some people do it as a form of alternative medicine. Um, and other people just do it as a, a you know, like this, Oh, what could it hurt? You know, it's a, it's a form mm-hmm. of wellness, like anything, like going to the spa, like meditating, like anything. Um, right. you know, but suppose, so she does this and it unlocks all these memories and pulls her back to her childhood where we see, the exact dynamic that they discussed in the previous episode of, um, you know, basically Toph being an absent parent for all intents and purposes mm-hmm. uh, on the premise that she can because it's better for her children if she pretty much has no oversight or authority over them. She just allows them to do whatever they want. Right. And, you know, and diving into it deeper, we see something we have also talked about before which is that sort of order of siblings thing where we see Lynn Mm. as the oldest child, the stereotypically textbook older child and her way of getting her parents, her absent mother's attention and affection and approval is to, and this is the worst case I think for an eldest child because psychologically eldest children want to be rule followers. They want to do what mommy and daddy say. They want to get approval by following their directions the problem mm-hmm. in Lynn's case, and you can only imagine the sort of psychological harm this has on her and emotional harm, is that there are no directions. Right. You have a people pleaser who is dying for something to do, and the person that they want to please will not tell them what to do. Right. On the sentiment exactly. that I don't want to control you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that is very, uh, it's a rough situation to be in if you're that kind of person like Lynn is yeah it's it's bad really bad for her and so what she does the the best way that she can i really wonder how this equates to this in real life i would guess it probably is accurate because they seem to do their research on the show is that Mm -hmm. she mimics her mother because i think and i think it is the most natural response a person could have is well if my parental figure who i'm trying to please doesn't tell me what i'm supposed to do well, it's more of a, you know, instead of do as I say and not as I do, well, she won't say anything. Mm-hmm. Since you can't do what your parents say, all you can do is do what they do. The only thing right. that they approve of is what they do with their lives. Well, then I'll just do the same thing with my life so they'll approve of me the way they approve of themselves. Right. And so she just copies yeah, just... her mother, just becomes <laughs> police chief. Right, which is not a good uh, mentality to have. <laughs> no, I mean it's a natural progression when you're just left. Yeah, no, it makes swim, sense, but it's not know. good. <laughs> yeah, no, and ultimately winds up making her feel empty, because in the end, as she mm-hmm. said, she went after her mother's approval, tried to do everything that she thought her mother would approve of by basically mimicking her. Look, mom, everything you did with your life, I did it too, and it didn't get her what she was hoping for. She didn't get her mother's attention or approval or love. Or anything she was after. All she did mm-hmm. was feel like she put her life in a hole, basically, because instead of going after what she wanted, she went blindly after something what she thought her mother would have liked her to do. Be like yeah. her. And then Suyin went in the exact opposite direction. <laughs> yeah. Just the wild child, do whatever, break the law, 
and like just to try and notice me senpai right right which is big i can speak for myself it's ironic that it would be the second child because the second child doesn't normally do that the second child normally is very stereotypically is very self-interested they don't really care for mom and dad's approval they're just happy that mom and dad aren't aren't as strict with them but what she's mm. exhibiting is big third child energy. And this is me speaking as third child. Misbehave right. because you're lost in the shuffle of having older siblings who are prioritized over you. You create trouble because it's better to get attention for somebody being mad at you than to just be ignored and be invisible. Right. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm the oldest, so... <laughs> yeah but i feel like because i have two younger sisters as you know and i feel like our dynamic is actually kind of switched like i feel like my youngest sister natalie is like the perfect child like mm -hmm. she gets straight a she's a she's a sports star like she's a good kid you know is literally on a mission trip right now in south america like she's like the golden child mm -hmm. rachel my middle sister is the wild card like she is the sweetest thing ever, but she's also like sneaking out at night. Like when she was a teenager, like getting tattoos when her mom said no, like mm -hmm. doing that kind of shit. And then I'm just over here. Like, I'm just being me. I'm just kind of the black sheep, whatever. <laughs> like <laughs> the artsy kid that just kind of keeps to themselves, but like, you know, and so it's very funny, like seeing the dynamics of those two compared to like my sisters and but how different it is, but like also ultimately the same. <laughs> Well, out of just general curiosity, just as long as we're on the subject and you've compared yourself, just out of pure curiosity, and you could, were you held yourself personally? Do you feel like you were held to high expectations as the eldest child, as far as like you felt like you needed to do what your parents said or follow rules or be a good to get approved? Or would you feel like you were more of a second child, like where you the rules didn't really apply to you and there was usually you were pretty confident if you screwed up you were gonna be forgiven um definitely not the first one like because <laughs> in many respects like for instance i was never good in school from mm -hmm. the beginning like i was not that kid that the parents would or the teachers would be like oh you're like amanda's sister oh she was so smart like yeah, my yeah. teachers loved me but i was not like a star student or anything mm -hmm. Um, and so I didn't have that going for me. I was not a sports person like my other two sisters are. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> didn't have that either. Uh -huh. Um, I also was obviously diagnosed with Asperger's, which we talked about way back in the day. And, um, and so in terms of like behavior, like I was treated very differently from my sisters, not like in a bad way, but just, I had to be in order to accommodate me and my, you mm -hmm. know, my Aspergerness, autismness. <laughs> Aspergerness. So, <laughs> yes. Um, so, yeah. No, I. I feel like if, like my my being the oldest, is very different from most oldest children. Mm -hmm. If that makes sense. It's just almost like, like I, it's, it's almost like you guys are more like a family of four, where you just kind of took out the eldest child dynamic, and you're more like the the second child that parents are pretty lenient and understanding with. Rachel is the third child causing trouble to get attention, like me, and then you have the fourth child, which in my family would be my sister, who's the baby, who's like the golden child, can never do anything wrong, and that's more like what you have with her. That's so funny. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's just 
like my parents had the weird one first <laughs> like i'm the weird one the black sheep and then my two sisters came after and so i was suddenly like the outlier of the of the three of us so yeah no <laughs> but, and it's actually very often the second child can be can be the black sheep and that is mm-hmm. again additionally adding to that that's super interesting yeah, the way the fact that the episode goes so deep into that and really unravels that dynamic between the two of them and lays that open so so bare, as I said, is like it was just so much beauty in what Katie Matilla does. I mean, the way that she was so thorough and so open and so clear with what the content of the characters' hearts were in an episode like The Beach. I mean, man, mm. she really lays it out here. I mean, the flashbacks of, you know uh su yin when she was younger getting in, running with a bad crowd and having this sort of i don't care like you know just misbehaving because she can and you know she'll either have mm-hmm. fun or she'll get mom's attention you know it's in her mind it's like a win-win you know yeah exactly so why not just cause chaos and have it see my like gasp moment was the moment when after the car wreck and she tries to mm-hmm. she tries to to arrest her and then she comes and she breaks the the whip yeah and then it comes, cuts the, the cable and then it comes back and scars lynn's face i'm like mm-hmm. oh, and that's why she has that and like it, then it pulls back and like she's got the scars on her face so i was like there it is there it is yeah almost that's pretty brutal yeah almost as surprising as the fact that it was here in the last episode (laughs) right man did you really think we weren't going to get the origins of seuss or not seuss sorry lynn scars (laughs) yeah she's going to be like last time i trusted somebody oh god please no (laughs) don't bring up that movie oh man yeah no it it is very effective um storytelling through the flashbacks and just it it gives us context as to why they are the way that they are now sue and lynn and why they have such like this kind of rivalry the sibling rivalry but it's interesting because mm-hmm. in at least in the present it's very one-sided yeah like because sue Suyin, she and Toph worked out their problems, like from when she was a child and causing trouble and all that. Like, you know, she even says, like, Mom and I have talked about this years ago. If you'd gotten together with us, like we asked, we could have resolved all this bullshit by mm-hmm. now. Like, right. but you're you refuse. You are holding out, and you just want to like seep in this bitter like right. this bitterness that you have, and so. Yeah, it, it's interesting that Lynn is just holding so tightly on to this past that they share and she refuses to move on until, you know, this episode. And yeah, and it shows just how bad holding on to stuff like that can affect you, not yeah. just, you know, mentally, but physically. Like she is physically being affected by these memories that are like coming to the surface mm-hmm. and she's becoming weak and she can't think straight and she's like seeing hallucinations and it's like, yeah, you really need to see a therapist. Uh-huh. Um, you need to have a family session, council session. Um, but I guess that that's what the fight was at the end. <laughs> they just really need to duke it out. Um, but uh, it is it is so cool um, to see those flashbacks. And then when we're in the present day and she decides that, yeah, she's going to go confront Sue about what happened in their past. And, you know, 
and that ultimately breaks out into a giant fight and it is such a cool fight mm -hmm. i love earth v earth fights like i'm i'm thinking back to the blind bandit episode yeah. where toff was taking out all the like you know the earthbenders and earth rumble six and you know it's it's the same element it's earth versus earth but the way that they use the earth bending and the metal bending in the fights is like so creative because yep. you have to be creative. If it's the same element fighting one another, like you have to make it look cool. <laughs> it can't yeah. just be like, you know, the same thing over and over again. So look, here's water. You splash <laughs> right. with back water. Back and forth. And I back splash with water. Yeah. You splash with water. Here's dirt. Yep. Here's more dirt. Here's dirt. Here's a, here's a boulder. Exactly. So, um, <laughs> So yeah, Sue and Lynn, they have a big old fight and it's awesome. And I love the line. Cora is just like off on the sidelines watching, like not sure what she's supposed to do. And she's like so scared. She's like, should I stop them? And Bolin just like, nah, this is all part of this, you know, the healing process. You don't have siblings. You don't get it. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's so funny. You have to just fight. <laughs> just do it. Yeah. And you know, <clears throat> and, and speaking of, uh, of Bolin, excuse me. I like how in these episodes, I like the way Bolin has this kind of this subplot, just like this little mini arc, I guess is what I'm trying to say, just in this episode of him confronting this like embarrassment over himself, mm -hmm. which I feel like is a huge jump for him. But also at the same time, it's a little bit contrived just for this episode because one of the markers of Bolin is that he's sure he like kind of in a way lacks confidence because on the one hand, Bolin isn't exactly the guy who throws himself into situations. He isn't the guy, the first person to volunteer for something you know dangerous or or whatever. He can be kind of kind of a scaredy cat at times. Right. But at the same time, he also is the guy who isn't really embarrassed to say what's on his mind, or he's not, he's willing to like say something in front of a crowd of people. Or, you know, yeah, he has his timid moments, I guess is what I'm trying to say. But in general, he's usually pretty straightforward and he's always very genuine. Mm -hmm. And so I felt like he was kind of like they took a part of his character and kind of exaggerated it for here of him like, kind of putting on this like soccer level like ladies man bravado trying to do it where right. we haven't really seen him do we see him be suave but it's like an exaggerated like he'll pretend to be somebody he's not you know yeah it was kind of like well we don't really see bolin do that kind of but like okay <laughs> but it did make for a good case study of bolin to represent somebody who feels like they can't be their genuine self or that he has to confront his own feelings in the broader sense of um, self-doubt. He doubts that his genuine self is enough for Opal, so he puts on this sort of, like, you know, machismo act around her at first, and she really quickly straightens him out, and he just is himself. And then he's afraid to confront this fact that he really, really wants to metal bend, but he's like too embarrassed to ask for help or anything. He just tries to kind of sneak in and like see if he can do it. He's he's just too mm. embarrassed to admit that he really, really wants this thing and that maybe he isn't capable of doing it. He doesn't want to be embarrassed in front of other people that he isn't he's embarrassed and afraid of failure in front of other people. Yeah, absolutely. And just kind of branching off of, you know, his interactions with Opal in this episode, with him 
basically being, you know, he has so much bravado, he's showing off and it's not like him at all. And she picks up on that instantly and is like, I love that they didn't try to like make that, I don't know. Cause I feel like in so many rom-coms, like that would be part of an act that would be ongoing. And I love that every time he does it, he does it twice in the episode, she immediately shuts him down. She's like, stop doing that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like it's, it's a nice change of pace. And like, you know, I think that their romance in general, like it's, it's, it, I was gonna say fleeting. It's not fleeting, but it's a very small part of this season and in the next season, but it's handled so much better than like the main romances because uh -huh. it's just genuinely cute yeah. and like they have good chemistry and there's no like malicious cheating or backstabbing or drama. It's just, no, these two cuties like each other and oh, wait, hold that's on. it. That's all the Wait, do they, do they stay together? Uh, I mean, yeah, of course they do. Perfect. Okay, guys, I'm so happy. I'm so happy. Bowling <laughs> deserves this. Okay, but okay, all right, because I had like a whole page, a whole section of my notes devoted to why they're the perfect couple. Hold on, wait, let me get into this oh here. Okay, so, so here's why they're so, such a like just perfect couple. Because number one, Bolin is hilarious. And like, come mm. on now. Just even Jessica Rabbit dates <laughs> Roger Rabbit because he makes her laugh exactly right okay so number one he's hilarious and number two he's really really brave and he's very selfless mm. and come on now is he not proven multiple times in the series that he is the most romantic guy that the avatar franchise has ever seen <laughs> i would even say because come on now he he's got more riz than zuko but like let's be honest the riz master is sokka like <laughs> i mean okay but like but sokka's like sokka's got game but sokka isn't exactly romantic <laughs> mm, all right i mean like the only romantic thing i <laughs> there are two romantic things that i think of when i think of zuko one is obviously the firelight candle fountain right. which we already have talked about at length right but then the other thing that immediately pops into my mind is him trying to get ice cream for May. <laughs> it just falls in her lap. Like, but, poor guy. But so, but, but see, but like Zuko is like, Zuko is like pining, pining poet romantic. Mm -hmm. And, and Sokka is like, <laughs> he's just Sokka. She's just like hot, flirty, nerdy romantic. But like Bolin mm. is like big, strapping. Captain America. But like also an actual cinnamon bun who will like take you to the carnival and spend like a hundred, you know, tries throwing a baseball just to win you that teddy bear you want. He'll bring flowers right. to every day. Like, you know what I mean? He's the guy you can bring home to your parents yeah. and he's and he's dorky and he's funny and he tries to make you laugh any way he can. But he'll also like literally murder a man like to protect yeah. you, you know? <laughs> Yeah, he's like an old-fashioned romantic yeah, within he, the world of Avatar. He is. He is. And you know what? I will honestly say that that's one thing that things I love about Bolan is he is like the least toxic man. Like, he is, really. He's willing. Yeah, no. He may be embarrassed sometimes, but you know what? It's great because he doesn't try to pretend that he's perfect. He admits to his mistakes. He doesn't make excuses for himself. He's honest. He's heartfelt. He's interested in your feelings. He makes room for you to feel. He listens. Like, 
he's a great guy. He's he is the best man. Like Bolin, why are you creating such unrealistic expectations on the rest <laughs> of us? Okay, we can't measure up to you. We can't. Have you jumped off the Mako bandwagon and are now on the bullet train? Hey, I'm just saying that Mako is relatably hot and awesome. I'm just saying that Bolin is the perfect boyfriend. That's all I'm saying. Right. Mako is the perfect man. Bolin is the perfect boyfriend. <laughs> oh, Lord. Yeah, no, I mean, you're not wrong. All those points are absolutely fact, but... Yeah, I mean... They are... Bed, bed, bed Mako, Mary Bolin. <laughs> Literally, yeah. <laughs> it's like that meme of, you know, Bolin is, I'll have her at home by nine, sir. And then Mako is, your daughter calls me daddy. Too. <laughs> like, <laughs> that is it's absolutely correct. It's yep. 100% true. Yeah. Yep. We love that dynamic. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. I don't remember where we are in the episode. <laughs> but, but you know, um, I think we should have covered everything but the B-plot, actually. Yeah, because, I mean, the B-plot is... it's. I feel like it's weaker than the previous episode, personally. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically, the Red Lotus have been hiding out in Republic City mm-hmm. in the Spirit Wilds, and they need to... They, they find out that... Uh, I guess through meditations, Zaheer finds out that Korra is in Zalfu with the Metal Clan. Yeah, what and a weird so, way for that to happen. I know, I I would have figured since radios are a thing in Legend of Korra that like maybe they intercept a radio from like Su Yin to the police or something like say, hey, the Avatar's here, she's safe, whatever. You know what I mean? Like yeah. maybe that. Could, I don't know. That might have been too complicated. So whatever. He meditates and he finds out where she is. Um, spirit mumbo jumbo um <laughs> and so i mean that's basically all of season two spirit mumbo jumbo yeah um and uh can i, so, yeah, can I can jump get... in though i think it's absolutely unhinged that when they have to make their escape in the truck they let the girl with no arms try <laughs> <laughs> yeah that that got a huge laugh out of me when the episode first aired i was like out of all the people <laughs> <laughs> out of all of them yes um but yes they basically like steal a delivery truck and it's like a super tense scene um and initially they just want to drive out in the truck like undetected but that mm-hmm. obviously goes sideways and so they have to steal the truck and blow up a bunch of cars and you know police yeah, t- chase typical, and all that. typical red lotus stuff <laughs> yeah you know chaos it's, yeah. it's fine just a regular um, day yeah, and I mean that that basically is the B plot. There's not really a ton to it. No. Um but uh really the the whole as you like to say meat and potatoes of the episode is the, you know, the family drama with Lynn and the Beifong family and her and Sue right. and everything. Um and so just real quick before we wrap up this episode because we we mentioned that we were going to talk about it. Um so we kind of we kind of talked about it a little bit. But I I personally think that it's a very smart move what they did with um, Toph and yeah. the way that she kind of brought up her daughters based off of her own upbringing, you mm-hmm. know, being a rich, spoiled girl who was coddled 
nearly to death and was, you know, supervised 24 seven and just, you know, was never given any kind of freedom to then go to the full other side of the spectrum with her own children because she didn't want that life for them. And just having it to where, you know, they had all the freedom in the world to do whatever they want, make their own path, whatever you want to say. Mm-hmm. Um, which in a way, because it was so, such an extreme, it could be seen as, you know, negligence mm-hmm. or absent, you know, being an absent mother, mm-hmm. um, which some people are not happy with. And I, I get it, but it doesn't mean that it's not in character. <laughs> well, right. And we've talked you know about I mean? this kind of thing a lot. I mean, Luke Skywalker in The Last Jedi. Like it, good, mm-hmm. bad, but is it in character? I mean, consistency is the main thing. Like, yeah, sure. In the most meta sense, you can tell say whether you yourself personally find it appealing or not. But in the end, mm-hmm. it just has to be consistent with the character. Um, you know what? I find it perfectly consistent with Toph. I mean, yeah. Toph has never been the most sensitive person and 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 to be perfectly honest with you i I, if i was someone who knew toff personally i would have 100 percent been the person to be like kids toff a mother exactly like exactly is she fit to raise children the woman like this is the same and i also kind of get it too because like how many times during the series and avatar did toff also like blow off everybody and be like you know what guy fine you guys are on your own i'm leaving and i'm gonna sleep in a rock tent alone right yeah um quite a few times actually especially towards the beginning when she first you know joined team avatar yeah and that's the thing is that and i'm not saying that you know because the thing about toff in avatar was that she was an incredibly compassionate and kind person, but she had a tough love approach to things right. and to people that made her seem more aloof and like uncaring than she actually was. Right. Cause she did care very deeply. We saw that, you know, right. when she would, you know, for instance, the scene that's immediately popping to my mind is when her and Sokka are talking about Katara. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was in the, uh, oh, what is it called? Oh my gosh, I'm blanking on it. Anyway, the the episode where she's stealing from, you know, the Fire Nation people. Yeah, the runaway. There we go. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, she actually, for one of the first times in the series, she cries opening up to Sokka. Like, that just shows she is capable of, like, this super deep compassion um, and care for people. But, um, yeah, it's it's a very, she's a very hard, tough love exterior. and so, yeah, I, I had the same thing. I was honestly surprised that she had kids. Like, when uh-huh. it was revealed that she, that Lynn in the first episode of Legend of Korra, that she was Toph's daughter, I was like, uh, what? <laughs> I never would have pegged Toph as being one to have kids. Right. And I'm just, I just have to say this because I, you know, Legend of Korra fans won't let me sleep if I don't. But um, there, because we don't know who Soo Yin's dad is. Cause she even says like same mom, different dads and that neither of them knew their dads. There. <laughs> I, I know where, I know where <laughs> you're going. Yes. Um, so if you notice Soo Yin has a darker complexion than yep. both Toph and Lin. <laughs> yeah. And um, yeah. Ain't that weird? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, one of the biggest, one of the biggest theories in all of Legend of Korra is that at some point, Toph, Toph and, and Sokka. Sokka hooked up. Yep. Yeah, and 
had a kid and this would have been after because it is confirmed by the creators that suki died young mm -hmm. like maybe in her 20s early 30s okay. so we kind of as fans were like okay well maybe this was after the fact hopefully god if this is true mm. <laughs> um of suki's death and that maybe you know Sokka was mourning and Toph was there because they were always very close right and things happened and it was not planned for that yeah. to happen yeah. and so that. in order to yeah in order to not break up the dynamic of team avatar or like cause drama or whatever like they decided that you know Toph would raise the baby on her own would raise steamian on her own and that they would never reveal that Sokka was the father. This is not canon. This is just like oh, a yeah. theory. That, well, 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 the thing is that they say that there's two different fathers, so they do know eventually that they aren't related to each other, like fully except through Toph, that like they have two different fathers. But they don't say, mm. but they don't say, notice that they don't say that Toph like divorced her first husband and remarried a second oh, yeah. husband. Yeah, no. I mean, how spicy do we want to get? Did she cheat on her husband with Sokka? One night like... Oh, no. I see, because we do eventually, and that's the reason why I say Su Yin, because we do eventually find out, and it's not important who it is, but we yeah. do find out who, who uh, Lin's dad is. Okay. And we never see him or anything. They just say, like, this is your dad, and yeah. that's it. Um, but and interestingly, they never reveal who Sue's dad is. Yeah. And so I kind of always saw it as, you know, one night stands, yeah. both of them like that. Cause again, I just, I can never picture Toph getting married and settling right. down to have kids like, right. you know, but having kids out of wedlock, you know, one night stands, I could, I could Toph buy is 100 that. 100% of free spirit. Like, again, she is such a gypsy yeah. soul. Yeah. Right. So I, I could buy that. You know, she just had two kids out of wedlock and <laughs> that makes it sound so like, Oh, you naughty child. Um, but uh, <laughs> how dare you have children out of wedlock? Um, yeah, but I mean, but... Well, considering the fact of where she comes from, that's probably exactly how her parents would have responded to it. So, you know, mm -hmm. yeah. Rich uppity people. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I just had to had to. So now you can like no, think I, about that anytime you see Sue. Like, what if that's Sokka's kid? Oh my god, <laughs> probably is Sokka's kid. Honestly, I'm I'm fully <laughs> ready to accept that. That's super interesting, right? Yeah, yeah. There's, I'm sure that there's whole like fan fictions that have been written about after Suki's death and how that would have happened and like just them. Yeah, getting together and just the Taka ship. It's quite strong, as I told you back Good in things. Avatar. Man man well <laughs> this has been a great episode of this is us i think that this right. this episode <laughs> i think that this episode for me um i there's so many things i really really love about about the episode i mean just the fact it focuses on lynn and just so much stuff about the family the fight at the end is awesome uh, again there's so much good stuff with Bolin and opal and everything um i think i'm gonna give this episode a solid nine out of ten i'm actually going to concur with you um i actually like the other episode more i know right. that's like shocking but for me um the only things holding back this episode from being like a 9.5 or more like mm -hmm. the other episode is that well, one, the B plot is not as strong as the previous episode with mm -hmm. the Red Lotus. Like, I think that the fight with Kaya and versus Zaheer is so much more in like 
interesting involving like it's you know the stakes are higher because we actually mm -hmm. know kaya right. um so i prefer that b plot personally and also i think that i don't know <laughs> and you can get mad at me for saying this but lynn is so awful <laughs> like in this in these two episodes like obviously there's a reason like right, right. she's got a lot of baggage and it's great when she finally gets you know lets go of it all but man, she's such a bitch in these two episodes. Like <laughs> it's true. And it makes it it's like again, it's like with Cora. I'm like, I know that this is leading to something. Like this right. is her character growth, but like it's still hard to like see her at her worst like that, you know? It's true. Um, but uh so yeah, I don't know. I I think I would have liked to have seen her, you know, maybe try to be a little more understanding, or maybe not understanding, but just a little more cordial with Stu and then it could escalate into a fight, you know, like the arguing back and forth instead of just like literally coming in guns blazing, ready to kill your sister. You know what I mean? But, like, what, but if the same I could also see in the most realistic sense, I could see that while hmm. narratively it isn't as smooth, I think it's more viscerally realistic because people do just come in already seething. Like, you ever have an argument of somebody going in your head already for, like, hours before you actually see them? And they're like, hey, and they're not where you are. You've already been, like, mentally strangling them for, like, two hours. And then you start, right. I can't believe that you, and like, they're like, what? I didn't say anything yet because you've already been fighting with them in your right. head. Yeah, I think that's yeah. Lynn. I'm sure she's been fighting with her sister in her head for about 30 years now. Yeah, I believe it. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah. Overall, it's still a very good episode. I like all the family drama. I love the fight between Sue and uh, Lynn. Um, you know, I I love, like you said, uh, the the growing connection between Opal and Bolin, and you know, Bolin attempting to metal bend and all that fun stuff. Uh, really good stuff so yeah for me nine out of ten yeah and and the best of all is like you know we're only in episode six of the season mm -hmm. there's still so much more of the season to go and whereas season two like dragged so much with like where is this going what is happening mm -hmm. the great thing about season three as you said is it's praised as like the best season of legend of korra is I can see the reason why, and as a writer, it's because we have so much stuff to anticipate. They're telling us mm -hmm. what's going to happen next. We're headed inevitably toward a confrontation between Korra and the Red Lotus. The avatars are either going to be trained or something terrible is going to happen to them. Like the, mm -hmm. you know, Lynn's family, are things going to get resolved or is the Red Lotus going to come to them and cause even more chaos? probably probably yes to all of them but but yeah and that's the great thing is that you know what's going to happen in so much as you know what stages are set but as far as what's mm -hmm. going to happen on those stages well we'll like we'll just have to wait and see that's all for today to all of our listeners thank you so much for tuning in we'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode so feel free to leave a review or comment follow the podcast give us a good rating and all that good stuff you can find us on Twitter at Millwood and Micah, and please follow our Instagram at Millwood and Micah Podcast. Thanks again, and we'll be back in the next episode.